Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. I'll tell you, it's been a joy to be here this morning. How many of you have been blessed just being here in this house this morning? Amen. How many of you can feel the presence of the Lord? Isn't God good? I just want you to take a moment, and if you can just lift your hands to the Lord right where you are, and just begin to thank the Lord for his mercy. How many of you God has been merciful to? How many of you he's been kind to? He's been patient with? He's been long-suffering with? I want you just to begin to magnify the Lord with me for his kindness and his goodness in our lives. How many of you know if it had not been for the Lord, you wouldn't be here today? I want you just to take a moment. The Bible says that when we come into his presence with thanksgiving, we come into his courts with praise, I want you just begin to thank the Lord from the depths of your heart. Begin to pour out an offering of thanksgiving here this morning in this place. Come on, let's let that thanksgiving pour out of our hearts, from the depths of our hearts. Begin to thank him and praise him. He's good. His kindness, his mercy, his, his, his mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we glorify you this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy that you have withheld from us what we deserve and we thank you for your grace that you've given to us, Lord, what we didn't deserve. God, we thank you for you. We magnify you. We praise you this morning. Lord, be exalted in this place. We lift you up, Lord, and we welcome you here. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I may see. Open my ears that I may hear. And open my heart that I may know you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Lord. Amen. Well, it's been a privilege to be here at this church, Encounter Church. I have to say that this church is already on fire. And, um, and, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for this environment of revival, this environment of witnessing, this environment of passion for souls, I sense a great passion for God. I see in this place that this church realizes they haven't arrived, but they realize there's more to God than they've ever experienced. So I, I sense a great hunger, and I'm excited because the Bible says, I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I sense that God's doing something very unique here, and I believe that God is going to use Encounter Church in Kennesaw, Georgia, to wreck this area for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God. If you believe that, say amen. I've got a message for you, and this is an interesting title because I don't believe this church is asleep. I remember hearing Evangelist Danny yesterday said, this church is not asleep. But I have a title for this message today. And the title for this message 
is really an awakening call to the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about the body that's sleeping, the body that's sleeping in America, the body that, that is the bride of Christ that has been sleeping and they need to be kissed by the heavenly groom once again to wake up out of that slumber and have a passion for souls again. Amen? I, I, I don't know about you, but I want to have a greater passion for souls than I had yesterday when we were out on the streets. I want to have God's heart placed in my heart where I have his heart for souls. And many times we don't have the heart of God. And we need to go to God because God is such a gracious God. And he will give us his heart and his passion for souls. And when he does, cities can be transformed. When he does, nations can be born in a day. When he does... God can reach all across the entire world through one church and encounter church can impact the entire world when they have his heart in theirs. How many of you want God's heart placed in your heart for souls? We need that. Maybe you've had it before. Maybe you've come here and you're, there's a little dryness in your heart or, or maybe you've come here and you're passionate for souls. But I want to ask you this question. How many of you want more? I, I just want more of God's heart. How many of you know there's more? I want more of God's heart placed in mind. So I want to go into this message today and I've entitled it, How Can You Sleep at a Time Like This? And that's an interesting title, but it comes from the book of Jonah. If you'll take your Bibles and open with me. And we're going to read in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1 and 2. And the very first thing I want you to see is the call of God, that God called Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh. Now, I just want to say this from the outset. Nineveh was a very wicked city. It was full of murder. It was full of prostitution. They were heathen people. They hated the Israelites, and the Israelites mutually hated them. They despised one another. This city was a very ungodly city. But I want you to see something here. I want you to see the heart of God for Nineveh. Because it's easy to love a brother, but it's hard to love your enemy. Somebody say amen. And I'm telling you, Jonah had a self-righteousness in his heart where when God called him to Nineveh, he didn't have God's heart. And even after he preaches there, he still didn't have God's heart. God had to work in him. And God revealed something to me. It is not about where I am with God, that God can just use his word even through an individual who does not have his heart because God's word is more powerful than the condition of my heart. And I'm telling you today that God can do something so supernatural. He can shake your life today in this place and this city can be shaken in just a short time. The whole city repents in just three days. Can you imagine what God could do? Can you imagine what God can do? I want you just to take the limits off God right now. Every limitation's gone. Every imagination that, that, that is not where God is thinking is gone from your mind right now. And begin to think like God. First of all, I want you to see in the call of God, we see the character of God. The character of God. What kind of a God is he? Is he a judgmental God that wants to condemn us? Is he a God that, that, that wanted Nineveh to perish? When the call of God comes to Jonah, it's revealed to us that God is a compassionate God because he called his man to go to a city, and these were Gentiles. But he called his man, a Jew, to go to the Gentiles. 
and to preach to them and proclaim to them the word of God. God loved that city. God loved those people. The Bible says he even loved the animals in that city. It shows us the heart of God. And I want you to see this with me. His character, his character. Jonah 1.1 says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. In verse number two, the Bible says this. So he complained to the Lord about it. This is what Jonah said to the Lord. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? I mean, can you imagine your preacher feeling this way? I knew, God, that you were going to have mercy and compassion on these people because that's the type of character you have. But I'm not like you, God. I don't want these people to be spared. I want these people to die in their sin. That's the heart of his prophet Jonah. And that's the way he felt about these people. And listen to this. This amazes me. He says, that is why I ran to Tarshish. Because he didn't want the people spared. He didn't want them to live. Listen, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. That's the character of our God. He's merciful. How many of you know God's merciful? How many of you are glad God's compassionate? How many of you know that God's slow to anger with you? How many of you are glad that God is filled with an unfailing love? How many of you are grateful that he wasn't eager to destroy you? How many of you remember back when you were addicted to sin, addicted to pornography, addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, addicted to the things of this world? How many of you remember back? I want you just to think back. How many of you are grateful that God was kind with you? How many of you are grateful he was merciful to you? How many of you are grateful he had unfailing love towards you? That's the character of our God. Somebody say amen. He is a merciful God. One night at 26 years old, I, I told the group yesterday that we're in evangelism training. I had an encounter with God at 26 years old, and I've never been the same since that encounter with God. Let me tell you, the people in the supermarkets are one encounter away. They're one encounter away with God. God changed my life. He forgave me for much, and I love him much. He gave me a new identity as a child of God, as the righteousness of God in Christ, he gave me sonship and adoption all in one encounter. He changed my life and called me to preach the gospel everywhere I go, to every single person I can meet and talk to. That encounter changed my life because he's a merciful God, because he's a good God. He's a compassionate God. Let me tell you about our God. He's an amazing God. If you believe that, say amen. He's such a kind, tender-hearted God. And this God revealed his mercy to Jonah, he revealed his compassion to him, but Jonah did not have the character that God had. And the second thing I want you to see is not only his character, but the second thing is I want you to see his concern. I want you to see the concern of God because the concern of God should be the concern of the church. In other words, the character of God should be the character of his people, and the concern of God should be the concern of his people. So if God is concerned about Nineveh, then you and I should be concerned about the lost. Amen? Listen to this, the concern of God. 
God desired for this heathen nation to turn to him and be spared. I said the city was full of murder. The city was full of adultery. And the Bible says this, that our God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even the God of the Old Testament is no different than the God of the New. Some people look at the God of the Old Testament and say, well, he's harsh and he's mean and he's murderer and he does all these things. It's not the truth at all. He had his prophet Noah preach for 120 years. Get on the ark. Repent. Get on the ark. It's going to rain. He's had messengers warn people. He's warned his own people. He spared Rahab the harlot. God is a merciful God. He's not willing that any should perish. Jesus is no more compassionate than God because they are the same. The same God. Let me tell you this. God is a merciful God. And he was willing to spare this city of Nineveh. What made the God of the Hebrew children so concerned for the heathens of Nineveh? The same God that made you and I is the same God that made the Hebrew people. Every single person was made in the image and the likeness of God. Every single one of us, that means we're special to God. That means we're unique, we're valuable to God. That we are made in his image. And would God want to do anything at all against something that was made in his own image? But God is a God of compassion and mercy, and he wants to demonstrate that on this city of Nineveh, the third thing I see here is not only in this calling of God, we see his character, and we also see his concern. But the third thing is we see his commission to his prophet Jonah. Listen to this. The Bible says this in verse number two. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce. That word announce literally means this. It means to cry out, to preach or proclaim. So he calls his prophet to get up. I'm telling you, God wants some of us to shut the TV off. God wants some of us to shut down the Xbox for a moment. God wants some of us to get up off our couch, and he wants us to go out and start crying out for the people who are lost. Some of you are so broken in your purpose. You're not living on purpose. You're not living intentionally to go and proclaim. You absolutely live every day, and you're wondering what you're missing inside. You need to get up off that couch, get out of that chair, and you need to go and proclaim the word of God. He said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce and cry out and proclaim my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. God chose for Jonah to warn the Ninevites that they may be spared of the judgment. He commissioned Jonah to go and to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. It's the same God in the Old Testament, the same God in the New that says go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same God sending, commissioning his servants to go. And by the way, I, I think sometimes in church we think that is reserved just for the office of the evangelist. My friend, I, I want to share this with you. I'm, I'm called to be an evangelist. I have that office in my, in, in, in my spirit. God has called me to do that. But I served for 15 years as a pastor. And I went out on the streets and knocked the doors. And I went everywhere I could to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell people of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this to you. You might sing up here on the stage or 
You might work in the nursery or, or, or you might even work in the children's department or back there in the sound. But God has a calling on every one of our hearts. Every single one of us have a responsibility to God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this with you. When the women went and visited the tomb, they were the ones that went and announced. They didn't have a title. They didn't wait for a title. They didn't even wait for a special service for somebody to say, you have the gift of an evangelist. But they went out and they told everybody, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And I, and I think back and I, I remember Jesus' encounter with that woman at the well. And, he, and, he, and he, she encountered the risen Christ. She encountered Christ. And in that encounter, she goes back home and brings the whole city to Jesus. Don't tell me you need to be called. I, I've heard that all my life. That's an excuse of the enemy. Every one of us are ambassadors, representatives, legal representatives, commissioned by God to go into the world and preach the gospel. But the question is this, are you going to run from God? The question is this, are you going to obey the calling of God in your life? This, this is the question that God has for each and every one of us today. As I go, I, I see in this, I see God's heart. John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's call to Jonah came from God's heart. It's the character of God, that he's a merciful and gracious God. That's the reason why, why, why some of us never warn others about hell or proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ is we need our character changed. We need our heart changed. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for everybody here that's not been proclaiming the gospel, that doesn't have the heart that God has. You need your heart touched. You need revival in your heart. You need God's love and patience and kindness in your heart for people because I'm telling you, if you're not proclaiming mean the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are running from God. You are either a witness or you're living in disobedience to God. Some of us need to say and cry out to God, God, my heart is not like your heart. I've forgotten how much mercy and kindness you had on me. I mean, how does it make you feel when you see somebody holding up a rainbow that belonged to God in the first place. I mean, if you start looking at those people and you're angry at those people, you don't have the heart of God. If you compare yourself to other people, you don't have the heart of God. If you look at the homeless man holding the sign on the corner and he's asking for change, even if he's going to use it for alcohol or drugs, and you're judging that man without proclaiming Jesus Christ to him, then you're running from God. We're so full of judgment. We're so full of self-righteousness. And we need God to touch our hearts. 
I wrote this the other day. Oh, what love led him to the cross. What mercy demonstrated for the lost. What grace he freely gave, not for the saint, but for the slave. Why should I turn a blind eye to the one that he's fixed his gaze upon? Oh, spirit of the living God, open my eyes that I may see the lost as the prize of your love. May I see them with eyes from above. May I see their soul and not their sin. May I always remember where I came from and where I've been. Forgive me for the pride within that compares me with their sin. Take me low that I may know what compelled you to the cross to suffer such loss, to have such anguish for the lost. Oh, love of God so vast and measureless, fill me with thy fullness until loving others is now effortless. And that should be the cry of every single child of God who's been forgiven for much. We love much and we love the people that he loves. Number two, I'm going to go quickly now, the condition of the church. In verse number three, look at it, please. The Bible says, but Jonah got up and he went the opposite direction. That's disobedience, friends. When God calls you, you say yes. Jonah said no. He went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape the Lord. (laughs) Not a very wise prophet here by sailing to Tarshish. He thought he could outrun God. Friend, you can outrun God. I don't care where you are. If you're in your apartment, if you're in your car, and you're not following God, you're headed the wrong direction, God sees you. He's already beat you to where you're going. Trust me, he's got a holy setup coming your way, and he's going to bring you back to him. Listen to this. But the Bible says this in verse number 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. I want to talk to you just for a moment of the condition of the church. I believe while the world is perishing, we're sound asleep in our churches sometimes. I believe while the world is, is, is perishing that we're sound asleep on our Facebook. I believe while the world is perishing, we're checking how many likes we got on Instagram. I believe while the world is perishing, we can be so self-consumed that we don't have the heart of God. And friend, if that's you, if you've lost that passion for souls or maybe you've never had it, you need to run down to this altar today and get things right with God until his heart and his character has now become your character and your heart for souls Jonah was sleeping. How, how could he sleep? He's in the midst of a storm. I, I not only believe that Jonah is sleeping, but I, I believe the bride of Jesus Christ in America is sleeping. Uh, there's something wrong in the church. It's time to sound the alarm. It's time to, to sound the trumpet. I'm telling you, it's time that the church is warned. The church reminds me of, of the parable of the ten virgins. And five of them went out and they had oil. The other five were sleeping. They, they didn't have oil. So when the time came that the bridegroom came, They wanted to borrow oil from the five who had oil in their lamps. But they weren't ready, friend. And let me just say this. They didn't go with him. They didn't go with him. God wants his church on fire. God wants a passionate church. He he doesn't want a lukewarm church. 
He doesn't want a church that's dead. And, and I believe the fire of God is in this church. I believe that. I see it on the leaders. I see it in the leadership. I feel it. I, I can encounter God just walking in here. But he wants the fire to go across this whole congregation, friend. He wants that fire to touch your soul until the souls of men, until you're in, 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 in a place where you're eating and you're in a line and there's somebody beside you and you can't help but tell them about the love of God for their soul. You can't help but tell them about how Jesus loves them, died for them on the cross, paid the price for them, and, and, and all they need to do is repent of their sin and believe on Jesus Christ and they will receive the record of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and their life will never be the same. Friend, that's what he wants burning in every one of our hearts. But I, I see a church that's sleeping. I, I'll tell you, most churches don't even have any evangelism outreach at all. The churches somehow think that they're, they're, they're just supposed to come. When God called us all to go, I'm telling you, if I was lost and addicted, I'm not looking at your church sign and being impressed. But if somebody came to me in my sin and my brokenness, and if they explained to me the good news of Jesus Christ, I could, re I could turn back to God from that moment and be born again. And people need that. Let me just tell you a story because I want to make this a reality to you. I remember when God called me to go to Cambridge, Maryland uh, to preach the gospel in a city. A city that many people told me, thank you so much, brother. Many people told me not to go to. They said Ichabod was written over the city. They said the glory of God had departed from the churches there. And they warned me not to go. And so I went to that city because God called me to go to that city. And we went to that city with my, my family. My wife and I went there. We began preaching the gospel. A church had to start out of our house. I remember when 26, 28 people started coming in our living room. We ran out of room. We had to do something. But I remember the first people that I led to the Lord. I was standing on the, one of the streets in, in the city. And a young um, brother and sister, I believe 13 and 14 years old, were walking past. And I stopped them and I said, I want to tell you something. And I began to tell them about God's love and what Jesus did for them on the cross. First time they had ever heard it in their life. They wept. Imagine seeing a 13 and 14-year-old just weeping, hearing about Jesus. They wept. I wasn't in a church building. I didn't even have a church building. But they're weeping on the street. They repent of their sin, believe on Jesus. They were our first people we baptized. But while I was leading them to the Lord that night, their father comes up. He's on a bike. And I remember looking at this guy pull up. He's on a bike, and he has tattoos all over his head, the back of his head, his arms. You, you couldn't really see any of his natural skin color. All the way down his back, he's on a bike. He's got a backpack on. His arms are like the size of my legs. And I look at this guy, and he's like, who are you? I said, I'm a preacher. He said, I don't, he said, I, I usually don't let my kids talk to anybody. I said, I'm just telling them about Jesus, sir. He said, for some reason, I like you and I trust you. I'll let you go. And he looked at his kids. He said, when you get done talking to this man, you come straight home. Well, they came straight home, but they came different people. And their dad said, something's different. What did you do to my kids? And the kids loved the Lord. They just wanted to go to church. They just couldn't wait till we had a meeting. Then they got baptized, and he's there for their baptism. But he never got saved. Three months. 
He's going every Sunday. He said, my kids have something I need. I don't know what it is, but he came three months. And finally, it got to a point where, where I was at a place where I was wondering if he was ever going to get saved. And I decided to pray and fast. And so that day, I walked through the whole city where we lived for miles, and I fasted and prayed for that one man the entire day. From early on in the morning to 11 p.m. at night, I got home. And I remember getting home, and I looked at my wife, and I said to Wendy, the Lord just spoke to me and said, he's going to get saved tomorrow. And God said I could eat, and so I ate. That was awesome. <laughs> and he came in the next day on Sunday morning, and he sat on my couch beside his ex-wife, and he's sitting there with this, by the way, his name, they called him 21 and 0. He was the meanest man, they said, in the city of Cambridge, the most vile man. All his life he was called by an F word and not, never by his name. He grew up abused and broken. He lost his children and became angry at God and the world. They called him 21 and 0 because he would find grown men and just knock them out. And here he is, he's sitting on my couch and I began to preach, and something was different that day. I could feel the power of God mightily upon me. And I remember looking at him, and I remember when I was talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross, I remember seeing tears just coming down this man's face and, and just, I mean, literally soaking his shirt. And he, then he, I remember him leaning forward in his chair and looking at me, and he couldn't even believe what he was hearing. And then I, I knew that God was working on his heart, and by the end, um, I gave an opportunity for people to call upon the Lord. He came up to me and he said, I can't explain this, but today I literally felt Jesus come to live inside my heart. This man had no knowledge of God. He, ha he didn't understand anything about the Lord, but he said, I literally felt him come to live inside of me. And I saw this man change, and I remember one day as he was growing in the Lord, he, um, he went into a bar and he started to slip away from God. And I remember one day the Lord um, put on my heart. Um, his son called me and told me, he said, Dad's in the bar. I'm getting worried he's going back to his old life. And I, I went into the bar um, that night. Preacher, local preacher, goes into a bar. That felt great. It was amazing. My, my, my first experience in a bar, but it was awesome. I'm outside, and I'm thinking, what if somebody sees me? And then I thought, who cares? And I said, God, I need your help right now. And so I said, Lord, go in there with me. I'm going to preach the gospel in this bar tonight. So I went in this bar. And I went up to the counter of the bar, and I looked at the, the, the gentleman behind the counter, and I said, sir, I said, um, could you give me just one minute? I just want to tell these people how much God loves them tonight. I said, could you shut the music off for me? He said, I'll be glad to do that. You got one minute. He unplugged the music. I stood up on a chair in the middle of this bar, and I said, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I said, you might be the chiefest of sinners tonight. You might be the greatest sinner in all of Cambridge. But I want you to know that God loves you and he's willing to forgive you right now. And all you have to do is repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ. And if anybody wants to talk to me about that, I'm going to leave the bar now. I'll meet you outside. That's all I said. Pin drop. He couldn't hear anything. Nothing but crickets, man. Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah, my gut was tearing me up. But I had to obey God. 
And I walk outside. And I'm thinking, Donnie's going to come out, the guy I led to the Lord. He didn't. He was restraining a guy that wanted to hit me over the head with a beer bottle. He said, you can't hit him, that's my preacher. (laughs) Real stuff. I go outside, and then a guy walks outside. And I turn around, I thought I heard something, I look, and it was the guy that was behind the, the bar. And then another guy walks outside behind him, beside him. It happened to be his son. And then I found out it's the bar owner and his son. And both of them are crying uncontrollably. And both of them that night said they needed Jesus. And they repented of their sin. And both of them were saved that night right outside that bar. Man, I'm trying to tell you, you need the boldness of the Holy Spirit to do something like that. I mean, all I can think about, this city is so small. Everybody's going to know the preacher went into the bar. But you know what? Those guys never operated the bar after that. I don't know what happened. They, they, they stopped operating. The bar closed down. Here's what I'm trying to say. People need to hear the gospel. And God has called us. There's Donnies and there's people out there that just need to hear about Jesus. And we don't need to be self-righteous about it. The lost are perishing. I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. It says, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this To your shame. He's talking to the church. There are some people that don't have the knowledge of God and he's speaking to us. We have a responsibility. The third thing I want you to see, and I'm going to go quickly on this, the cry of the world. I'm just going to read quickly in verse number five. It says, fearing for their lives. They were desperate. The sailors, they began to shout out to their gods to help and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. And this is what the captain said. How can you sleep at a time like this while the people on the ship were perishing and they're fearful for their lives? Jonah was sleeping in the hold of the ship. And the captain says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. This is amazing. I mean, the cry of the world, they, they need to see the power of God in the church because maybe our God will spare their lives if we would go and do what God called us to do. But if we remain sleeping, then they may never hear. And this story is very interesting to me because Jonah disobeyed God and God's so amazing that even when they toss Jonah into the sea and he's swallowed by the whale, it is recorded that the shipmates and the captain repented and turned to God. That's an amazing God. Think about the character of God that Jonah disobeyed, and somehow even through his disobedience, God reached those people. What an amazing God. The world's crying out for answers. The world's crying out because they're living in fear. There's lockdowns. There's pandemics all across this world. There's so much confusion. There's identity issues and all types of things that are just bombarding our country. And the world needs us. The world needs the truth. They need us to wake up and begin to proclaim who Jesus is. Not to sit back and wait till it all falls apart. Not an escapism mentality that, God, if you'll just remove me from this world and I'll go to be with Jesus one day. No. The Apostle Paul said, I want to depart, but it's better that I remain. Why? Because he needed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
There's nothing wrong with wanting Jesus to come back, friend, but if it's a distraction from going and doing what God called us to do, then we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. We've got an escapism mindset when we need to have an expansion mindset. We need to expand and see the harvest that's ready, the harvest of souls that's ready to be reaped if we would wake up and go and reach them. I love this. The world sees the church, and this is the message. They're saying, arise and call upon your God. I I feel the presence of God when I say that because I believe it's time for us to arise and to begin to call upon God. The one true God, the God who's the only God who can save. Number four is the contrition of Jonah. In verse number, chapter number two, the Bible says this. I'm going to read excerpts out of this. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Verse number four. And then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Jonah began to turn back to God. He still didn't have the character of God. He didn't have God's heart yet, but he's saying, God, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn back to your holy temple. Verse seven. As my life was slipping away, I was about to die. I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Then he goes on in verse 9, and he says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Friend, in just a moment... I don't know if you've been sleeping. I don't know if you've been a faithful witness. I don't know um, the condition of your heart, but I can tell you this. If you've not been, you need to repent. You need to be the first one at the altar not to wait, but to run to this altar and say, God, I repent. I've been sleeping. God, I've been away from you. And you don't need to wait and say, I wonder if God's talking to me. If you're not faithfully witnessing, friend, you know. You know in your heart if you're faithfully sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're not, I'm not talking about saying, hey, will you come with me to church tomorrow? No, I'm talking about saying, let me tell you about a man who told me everything I ever did. Let me tell you how he changed my life. I've had an encounter with the living God, and I want you to have that encounter. I'm not talking about saying, hey, come out to my cell group. Come out to my small group. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about sharing what Jesus has done for you with the world. That's when a city is going to be lit on fire. Can you imagine if this church did that, what that would do in Kennesaw, Georgia? Can you imagine? Thank you. I want you right now, just begin to prepare your heart as God is going to give you an opportunity to get these things right with God like Jonah. And by the way, let me tell you something. He's such a God full of compassion and mercy that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You see, God came to Jonah and he gave him an opportunity to come back to him. He's in the belly of a fish. Friend, don't wait till you get in that belly of that fish. I mean, his life was almost gone. This is the opportunity you have. You have one life to live for Jesus Christ. One life. One life to pour out the gospel. One opportunity to serve your generation. One opportunity to tell that person at Walmart or that person in Publix or wherever you go about Jesus Christ. One opportunity to light that college on fire for Jesus Christ, that university. One opportunity for Kennesaw, Georgia to be torn apart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friend, this is your opportunity. Don't live your life and waste it. Don't throw it away. People are depending upon you. God is sovereign, but he used Jonah 
a messenger to reach those people of Nineveh. Let me tell you what God can do when we're obedient. Chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah the second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. This time, somebody say this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his message. I don't know about you, friend, but that's the weirdest message I've ever heard. I mean, can you imagine going around, 40 days from now, Kennesaw, Georgia will be destroyed. What do you think anybody would change? Let me tell you what happened, friend. This wicked, ungodly city was radically changed. Even the king and everybody in the city repented of their sin. They even didn't feed the animals. These people fasted. They took it so serious. What happened? Just a simple messenger delivered the word of the Lord. It's not about how powerful you are. It's about the message God gave you to deliver. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. These people heard the word of the Lord, and this is what the Bible says. Man, I love this. The king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. You see, the city repented. Let me tell you one story and I'm done. On our way here, we passed Inverness, Florida. I saw the sign for Inverness, Florida. And it took me back to many years ago. It took me back to when my mom and I jumped in a van and made a beeline for Inverness, Florida because she had found out that her 82-year-old father was dying. And he was in the hospital in Inverness, Florida. Let me tell you something, friend. You might not know what it's like to jump in a van and meet a man you've never met before because he didn't want anything to do with you or his own daughter. My mom left home at age 14. Her father was a drunk. She got a job and had a place on her own. She told me about times they would have to take his body out of the bar, him and her own mother, and load those bodies into the back of the car and sometimes illegally she would drive them home. She told me what it was like to grow up with no food. She made a vow that we would always have full cabinets, full refrigerator. My mom, she wasn't close to my dad. In fact, every time she would even come there to visit, he would say, this is a friend of the family and not even acknowledge she was his own daughter. All she ever experienced in her life was incredible rejection. But when God changed my mom and forgave her, she forgave him. And my mom wanted to see her father because she heard through a friend of the family that he's not going to live much longer. He wouldn't even call and say, I'm in the hospital, Yvonne. 
Little did she know that guilt and shame was eating his heart up. And so my mom looked at me and said, I believe you're the one to go with me. And I'm not even going to go into the hospital. But if God would just give him a chance, I want you to tell him about Jesus. Would you do that, Abraham? I said, Mom, I'll go with you. And I jumped in the car, and we, from Maryland, we drove all the way to Inverness, Florida, as fast as we could. And we got to that hospital. I'm standing outside the door, knowing that he's inside there. My mom's outside in the car. She couldn't even go in and see her own father. She felt she would be rejected once again. And I walk in there, and he looks at me, and what's crazy is I look pretty much identical to him. And I walk in there, and he looks at me, and the first thing he says is, Abraham, spitting image. And I wondered how he even knew me, and I found out later my mom had sent him a video of my wedding. And he recognized me, and he said, spitting image. And then I remember him shaking on the bed, and I began to tell him about the love of God. And he said, you really think God could forgive me of all I've done? And I said, I know he can, Gramps. And that night, my grandfather, who I had never met first time in my life, wept on that bed and received the kindness and mercy of God and repented of his sin and believed on Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the difference God makes. My mom never went up in the room. I went down and I told her, Mom, let me tell you what happened. She wept with me in the car. She said, son, it's not my time. I'll go see your grandfather again. We're down the road just probably an hour and a half down the road headed back to Maryland. And my mom's phone rings. It was her dad. He said, Yvonne, I don't know what happened last night or what happened today but your boy has something special he gave me. And Yvonne, I want you to come up here anytime you want to see me because I want to be with you. That's the difference the gospel makes. He died two weeks later. She never saw him again. People are that close to eternity and we're sleeping. What if I had said no? What if my mom had just not forgiven her father because of Jesus? What if I said, no, nah, I'd just rather watch some movies. Yeah, just chill. I'm telling you, people need you to obey the call of God. I'm not even going to give another minute. If you, if you say, I need the heart of God, then I'm going to ask you just to run, run to this altar now. Friend, just step out of your seat and you say, I need a heart for souls. Just come. If you've got family that's lost and you know they need to be saved, maybe you've been hesitant. Maybe you're not sharing the gospel. Maybe you've been running the opposite way or you just, you just got it on neutral, friend. Maybe in your life you, you're sleeping and God's called you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to come forward. I believe there's more. I believe there's people in here right now that you've got a mom or a dad that's not saved. Maybe they're Catholic and, they, and, and you, you struggle being around them. Maybe, maybe you struggled sharing your faith with them. It's time for you to be bold, friend. You might not have tomorrow. This might be the last time. Let me give you a verse. The Bible says this in Isaiah, when Zion travailed, then she brought forth children. The word travail literally means to be in agony. It's like a child, it's like a, 
a, a pang of birth that, a, that an expectant mother has when she's about ready to deliver a child. And that mother feels that inside. We need to have that for souls. If we're going to see Kennesaw, Georgia, if we're going to see our family, if we're going to see our children saved, I want you to run forward right now and begin to travail for their soul right now. If your heart's not where God's heart is, if you don't have the character of God, then you need to repent and say, God, forgive me of my pride. God, forgive me of my self-righteousness. God, forgive me for not having your heart for souls. Forgive me for being disobedient, God. Just cry out to God right now as they worship, as they play and worship the Lord. I want you just to cry out to God and begin to travail, those of you in this church, begin to travail for souls. Begin to travail for the souls of Atlanta, Georgia, of Kennesaw, Georgia. Just begin to cry out to God. Say, God, would you spare my city? God, would you spare my relatives? God, would you spare America? Come on, if you've got a burden for America, I want you to lift your voice right now and begin to cry out. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.